Welcome to another episode of Photo Geek Weekly, recorded on it's uh, November 6th. Jeez, it's getting cold outside already. This is episode 86. Uh, and with me today on this Photo Geekery show, where we get under the hood and all things photographic technology, terminology, and, uh, and where the industry is going and how it shapes our lives. Today, I have a voice uh, who's been on before, and mm-hmm. I'm glad he's back on again, especially with the stories on the docket today. Steve Brokaw is here with me. Steve, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Steve, uh, catch us up. Give us the elevator pitch of what you've been doing since you might have been on the podcast last. Yeah, well, I'm uh, a fashion and beauty photography based here in Indianapolis, uh, working out of a studio, and I primarily shoot agency, model agency uh, talent, and so this uh, summer, I've been spending an inordinate amount of time doing that. Um, had a contract to work with a couple of agencies for about two months to photograph all their talent. And so that wrapped up about a about three weeks ago. And uh, I'm in the process of finalizing all the edits. And so that really uh, consumed all, almost all my time, but it was really a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I know through the winter months, uh, and yeah, I spend a lot of time editing, and right. it's it's not like mentally intensive work. Uh, a lot of it's kind of muscle memory. It's like, right. oh, you know, I've done mm-hmm. this before. I yep. can just follow through it again. Um, and thankfully, I can you know binge watch Netflix or whatever at the same time while I'm editing. So you know, it, it keeps my sanity <laughs> to some degree. Right. Um, but uh, definitely not a people person on my end. I'd be doing snowflakes. And yeah. Things like yeah. That. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have to focus almost exclusively on what I'm doing, or you know, I'll look at the image the next day is like, oh, wow, what was I doing? Oh, yeah, I had Netflix over here on the side. <laughs> <laughs> so how much editing work do you do on the images that you take? I know that um, people will put a line based on ethics, you know, don't, uh, mm-hmm. don't shave off too many pounds or don't, no. uh, don't clean things up too, too much. Yeah, that's um, photo manipulation is not what this uh, type of business is. It's more just taking what you have and just enhancing it slightly. Um, So what we call digital diets, um, you know, you don't do that. Um, But generally what they do is that think of a uh, photo shoot as a a pie, 100%. 25% of that is the um, setup and the breakdown of the studio, preparing the shoot, uh, contacting people, coordinating things. 25% of it is the actual photography being in the studio or on location shooting. And 50% of it is the editing. So the editing component takes as much time. So generally speaking, on a editorial type shoot, um, let's say the client has five images. Each image takes about anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour to edit. And this is, uh, I mean, akin to dodging and burning, right? You want to make certain things stand out, certain other things not stand out as much. Um, But you're not uh, not living in the liquefy tool. No, no, no. You And I know we have a a topic on that today. But generally what you're doing is that you're taking away anything that's temporary. So if somebody has a pimple on their nose, that goes away. But if they have a scar, that stays. Um, So basically what the majority of the work is, is color grading, just to make sure that um, when you have an image that's in front of you and you shoot it in a raw camera and you take it into Lightroom or Photoshop or uh, Capture One, whatever you're using, the color is never the exact same. So what you're doing is you're grading the images so that the same across. So I spend most of my time on the color grading because what you're doing is you're hitting them with different types of light, they're wearing different clothing, um, you're getting light reflection. And so it changes the the subtle changes of the skin tone. So that's one of the biggest things you do is make sure that the images are consistent across the board. 
Yeah, I, I do artwork reproduction photography on occasion, mm-hmm. and uh, I use a, an X-Rite color checker yep, uh, in in the frame mm-hmm. just to make sure that I've got a proper baseline. It it doesn't like it's not a magic bullet. It doesn't you know solve everything <clears throat> for me, but it gives me a really great starting right. point to then. So okay, well that that might have saved me five or ten minutes worth of work on this one particular image just to give me a, <clears throat> a, you know a, a known good um, uh, beginning. Yeah, and that's really critical because in the the, the, the old adage of getting it right in camera is 100% correct because I try to do as much as I can in camera. And so in, in my industry, what I'll always do is I'll take a shot um, in the beginning. So it's kind of my control shot and I'm shooting against a gray card and I'm shooting against a, an X-Rite color checker. And then anytime I change the lighting, um, I reshoot. And so I'll go in and I'll make sure that the, um, the white balance and the color grading is correct but even then, it's still off a little bit. Yeah. And uh, depending upon the skin tone of the person, you know, do they have a tan? You know, how much, um, you know, how old they are, how much, uh, you know, th- what the clothes they're wearing it will change it subtly. And that's what takes, it tends to take the most time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and sometimes uh, I know uh, you've uh, posted about it on, on Twitter, and I believe we've talked about it in the mm-hmm. past too. Um, you know, film photography is a uh, passion of yours yes. just on the non-professional side, right. but even still, there's been at least some demand or maybe just curiosity in bringing that uh, that kind of thing back into the studio as well. Just it's a more tangible medium, right? Yes. And as a matter of fact, I just did a shoot about three weeks ago where the um, the agency actually specifically requested that it was shot on film. And that wow. was a lot of fun. Um, I, you know, that was the first time I've done it with studio lights. So it was a little bit tricky. Um, so I took about six rolls and I ended up throwing away about two of them because <laughs> I forgot about the uh, sync speed and uh, the rest of them came out really well. And the nice thing about that was you don't have to do any editing at all. You just, you know, take it, you develop it and you scan it and you're good to go. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a different world, but it's also a world that we uh, kind of revisit now and again uh, right. on this podcast, and and that kind of leads us into our first story, right. um, where uh, Ilford Photo has updated its multi-grade darkroom paper and introduced the Ortho Plus film in smaller formats. So um, Ilford has made a ton of black and white emulsions right. and chemicals and papers and stuff uh, for for years. Yes, um, uh, black and white film predominantly, and most of it being uh, pan chromatic, although they mm. always had their ortho plus film in large format like four by five and and other sheet film formats uh steve what's the difference why should we care uh about an ortho film what is the difference between an orthochromatic and a panchromatic film first of all well fundamentally um 99 of all the film you're going to use that you're going to buy at walmart you're going to buy at any mass market store and online is panchromatic film so um the difference with with orthofilm is that it's it's basically it's not sensitive to red light. So what you can do is you can take it into a, a dark room and you can use a safety light, a red light, if it's on paper, and you can then go in and you can have a safety light so you can see what you're doing. Right. Um, so uh, effectively, if you try to do that with a panchromatic film, you'd ruin. You'd the film. Ru- you'd fog the film. Yeah. Whereas. The other thing, because it's it's has the sensitivity doesn't have sensitivity to red, the um, blacks tend I mean the reds tend to be blacker. Yeah. So what they do is you have a different color grading, and so they the blacks tend to be blacker um, than what you would have in just a panchromatic film. The other thing, and especially for film photographers, um, 
which I think is going to be a really good thing, especially for people who are new in photography, is that one of the things you have to do if you're doing it yourself is you have to take the film and you have to put it onto a reel. So you put it onto a reel and then you put it into a developing tank and then you develop it. Well, and so you you have to do this, by the way, in darkness. In darkness, so or in a black I have, bag. It looks it looks kind of like a, a t shirt where mm -hmm. you put your hands in from the outside, mm -hmm. and the other uh, yes. end where your torso would normally bag. be is a zipper. Um, and you have to load that film in complete darkness. Yes. And if you're not uh, skilled at it, or if you've got a temperamental yeah. reel, it can just be the most frustrating yes. experience yes. ever to get that thing all spooled up. And I have made mistakes in that process. Before. I have too. You get what there's a term called uh, film sweats. So you put your hands in those bags and after a few minutes, they start sweating and the film sticks to you and it gets, oh my God, you know that it's over with. And the nice thing about this film um, especially for film that's very thin, that doesn't, uh, or bends or 120 film, uh, you can do this in, in a dark room, you know, with a safety light on. And so for me, um, I try to avoid using metal reels because it's very hard to load, especially for thin film. So I'm actually looking forward to this. The other thing that's nice is that this is very good, I think, for street photography, which is generally black and white. And generally in street photography, you want that really punchy blacks. You want um, you you want that type of very contrasty type of look. And a ortho film will allow you to do that. Um, well, and and let's let's just be fair to uh, Rolleye on the market already has an, yes. uh, an orthochromatic film uh, in smaller formats, yes. but it's only ISO twenty five, so not typically Correct. ideal for uh, for street photography. Correct. And ridiculously expensive. It's expensive. Com comparatively. I think it was something like 16 or $20 for a roll, depending on the format that you're after. It's also not as readily available. So most um, camera stores that sell film, uh, sell Ilford film. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's the They've standard. got a contract with the supplier. They're already yeah. stocking other things. They might as well add this one to their list. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So actually, I'm going to be placing an order for some of this film and trying it out myself because um, ISO 80 is... It's still very, very slow, but you're generally, if you're doing street photography, you're out in the sunlight, and so you're, it's not going to be that big of an issue. And it'll be interesting to see if you can push this film up to maybe 100 or 200. So that'll be, it'll be a good film. And I really appreciate Ilford taking this step to do this. Um, it'll be it's really. Not, it's not like they reinvented anything. They're, no. Thankfully, they're putting it into a new format. It's Correct. not a brand new emulsion. No. Um, but their papers are new. And this yes. was kind of an interesting uh, a twist on the conversation because, yes, film photographers are, I think, growing in number right mm -hmm. now. It's not like a huge surge, but. No. I think it's supporting the film industry that allows things like this in terms of the new emulsions, not just from Ilford. There's been some experimental uh, emulsions from uh, Lomography companies. And, right. uh, and of course, Kodak is uh, bringing back Ektachrome. Ektachrome. So there, there's life in this. Mm -hmm. um, but I think most people that would be shooting film today would be then immediately digitizing it once Correct. it's developed, yep. right? So then you, mm -hmm. you scan it and now you carry on with uh, the workflow that you would have for everything else. And so the film is just the creation of the image, but not the creation of the photograph. Correct. So uh, when was the last time you set foot into a dark room to develop an optically printed photograph? When I was 18 years old. <laughs> I mean, it was a long time ago. No, and it's... Um, it, there is a small, I'll say a small resurgence of darkroom use um, because if people are getting into film, um, one of the 
options is to take it into the darkroom and to actually print it. And there's something about having a four by five or an eight by 10 image that's printed versus looking at it on your iPhone. So, you know, this type of film um, is good, but having it in the paper format, this next generation paper um, is really, I think, a, a good move for the people who do um, darkroom printing. And, you know, it's it's not an easy process. It's a completely different workflow, but there are a lot of people that do it. And I've seen several, um, what I'll call uh, sneak peek type of uh, blog posts and YouTube uh, people who've gone out and tested this paper and it's supposed to be very nice. So it's going to be pretty exciting to see. Well, and it's interesting to also note that there's, it's not just the, the tangibility of having an optically printed mm -hmm. photograph. The resolution can at times be higher, higher. this way. Yep. And if you've ever uh, gone through old family photos mm -hmm. and had some optically printed, usually black and white right. um, uh, photos and scan them, they scan at a much higher yes. resolution than later one hour photo mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and so if you were to be shooting medium format and making smaller prints, you would get a resolution far and above mm -hmm. anything that an inkjet printer would be able Correct. to provide for you. So th there, there's value from that perspective. In fact, um, you can take, uh, and I don't know if anybody that's really doing this, like not in my, my circle of, uh, of friends, but um, if, uh, if you were to take a high resolution image, say like my uh, Lumix S1R can shoot up to 187 megapixel images in its high resolution mode, um, which I do use for artwork reproduction and a few other things. But um, if I were to take that, you can have it effectively um, uh, laser, uh, not etched, but laser exposed mm -hmm. um, into a negative at a resolution of something, I, I can't I looked this up a few years ago, of like 3,600 DPI. And so if you have that built into like a 4x5 or an 8x10 negative, uh -huh. and then you do a contact print of that, that would allow you to have obscene levels of resolution if you are making a fine art limited edition right. print run. And I had toyed around with this idea. I, I made a, um, a poster print titled The Snowflake mm -hmm. that took 2,500 hours across five years combining over 400 different snowflakes uh, into this massive poster print. The file on my computer is well over a gigapixel in resolution. And I had a, uh, a, a museum exhibition uh, this past winter and they printed a version of it 140 inches tall and you mm -hmm. could nose up to it and still see all of the detail. Um, but I thought, well, wouldn't it be a neat idea to get somebody to make me a, uh, uh, an 8 by 10 or whatever size is available, uh, a black and white negative mm -hmm. of that at actual size. So the oh, actual wow. snowflakes are real in, in terms of their, their size, but a regular inkjet printer wouldn't be able to give me any detail. It would just Correct. kind of be tiny blobs. I would want to make something where in order to actually appreciate it, you would have to take a magnifying glass or a loop up to it in order to see that level of detail. And the only way to accomplish that is using an optically um, printed right. photograph. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's to see that that's not disappearing, I didn't actually go and do that yet. It's still an idea on my back burner with many dozens of others. Uh, but uh, Ilford is, uh, is committed. They are they committed are. to the analog photography world. We are seeing that. They have a new starter kit. If you've never mm -hmm. done any of this before, you don't have the development tanks or the chemistry and you just want to see how the whole flow goes, um, you can pick that up too. Yeah, so, and the nice thing is, is that 
there is a different workflow for um, both printed uh, darkroom prints and also taking film. But once you get the workflow figured out and once you have the initial investment, um, which there's a little bit of money, but not a huge amount, it's super inexpensive and it's not that hard. You can, I can take an image with a camera this morning. I could take the roll and I could have it developed, scanned, uploaded by this evening. It's fairly straightforward once you get to know it. And uh, there is something a little bit different of doing film than there is um, doing digital. But, uh, you know, I like it. And Ilford has been very active in the industry. They are very socially active. They're, they interact with people online. Uh, they're very big in having contests and uh, interacting and commenting on things. So I really like what they're doing. So, you know, hats off to Ilford for this. And I, I've been a, a, a fan of 3D <clears throat> photography for quite some time. Right. In fact... Um, I've got a bunch of 3D cameras, including some rather monstrous ones. Uh, Steve's holding up a Nimslow. I'm holding up a 3D world um, medium format monstrosity of a camera. Yours looks like something out of Chernobyl. <laughs> yeah, th- this is this is quite wonderful. I, it, I've this is the only one that showed up on eBay in like oh the last eight years, and I snagged it. Um, so. I, I like 3D effects yes. and film. Uh, film photography was in the heyday of 3D, mm-hmm. and there was a ton of stuff through the the 50s and 70s. Uh, this is one of the latest cameras. It actually has a working light meter in it. Wow! Um, but uh, for the longest time, I thought, okay, well, aside from some anachronisms, um, I would have no way to explore um, 3D photography in the digital world. Yes, Panasonic made a Micro Four Thirds 3D mm-hmm. lens, and it kind of sucked. Uh, and there were some point-and-shoot 3D lenses. Samsung, with their NEX cameras, had uh, a couple of 2D slash right. 3D lenses, and they're, they're a little bit around uh, around that. But I was just, uh, you know, just enamored with the idea of having 3D capable, mm-hmm. uh, you know, photography in my pocket. Right. And so there you go. I <laughs> this this is my segue to the next story, um, which uh, I the phone that I've been using for the last year and a bit has been the Red Hydrogen, mm-hmm. which was a fun experiment that is no more. Um, the uh, founder of Red, Jim Gennard, uh, has announced his retirement and he is shutting down the Hydrogen Phone Project, uh, which was a separate entity from Red, who makes uh, high end cinema cameras, mm-hmm. and uh, they have been an industry. Dis- disruptor uh, since they started doing that and they, they've made a lot of waves they were planning on doing that with the hydrogen i think it was uh regarded as uh like the worst tech product of the <laughs> year uh it, people just didn't get it uh, right. they were trying to use it like a regular device and and not really taking full advantage of actually composing mm-hmm. things interestingly in 3d um Jim had, uh, I mean, he previously founded Oakley sunglasses and, uh, and so he was very disruptive there. And I was really hoping that, okay, yeah, you, you bring out a first product, any first gen product is always going to be suspect, Mm -hmm. right? You're going to get some things wrong. Um, so I was hoping, you know, the hydrogen two, which had been announced in development, um, we won't be seeing that, uh, now, I'm personally sad about this. Steve, you probably don't really care. <clears throat> well, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the red cinema cameras. And the way I looked at this was I thought it was going to be something where they were going to use it as kind of the, the interface, where it kind of plugs into the red camera. Well, that and was then, the, the, the point. They, they were right. going to have modules right. that you could add on or uh, an interface for a camera as well. My question is, can you take phone calls with that thing? Yes. <laughs> and it, it's a remarkably good phone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, so 
if if you like 3D photography, mm-hmm. uh, which is almost nobody, right. then this was the phone for you, which right. would then be almost nobody. So I, I understood that they were trying to break into a niche and then expand it. Right. Um, but if they weren't able to get enough uh, momentum from the first one, it would be really hard to keep the return on an investment high. Uh, on a second iteration, especially if they were sitting on a whole bunch of stock of the first phone that the inventory just wasn't moving. And they had some big issues. Uh, I've had the fingerprint scanner replaced multiple times on this mm-hmm. device. But I remember, uh, was it iFixit or somebody else that did a, a teardown of it to see how repairable it was? It scored like a, a D minus. Right. Uh, because the um uh the screen uh was like glued into things like it couldn't be properly repaired even Mm -hmm. if you wanted to so whenever i would send my phone back to red to be repaired it came back brand new Mm -hmm. like they didn't fix the fingerprint scanner they just gave me a new one one, yeah and that was probably costly especially if i had that happen multiple times could you imagine if every other user had multiple uh failures and for every person that bought one they were you know burning through four or five different phones right um all because of one uh one point of failure on the device where one of their suppliers just was not up to snuff so yeah the way i see these type of things is that i think the concept is really good a 3d type image um do you remember about Four years ago, there was a camera company that came out that had a, um, a focal shifting. Um, you could take an image, and it was a oh uh, the light field cameras, the from, light field uh, camera, uh, Lytro. Yeah, yes, yes. That's the way I kind of saw this type of product. That you know, it's a disruptive technology, but the advantage is if you can take the concept, um, whether it's light field or three D imaging, and create. Um, a licensing technology that then you could put it into a more standard type of phone so that, Hey, if I took my iPhone and I want to take a 3d image, the technology is in that phone because it's been licensed. I thought that was going to be something really interesting, but to build a full ecosystem around the concept of 3d or uh, light field, it's, it's a tough sell. I think. Well, the ecosystem did exist previously. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a very shaky, shattered foundation of 3D photography. Right. It, it, it did exist. Um, like w- one of my favorite lenses is from Leica in mm-hmm. 1954. Right. They made a stereoscopic 3D lens for the M series and right. their Leica 3. Um, and uh, I, I love using that now that I've fixed it so that it doesn't uh, mangle the shutter of my camera. That's another story. <laughs> um, but it's hard to find modern equipment to do this. But the interesting thing here is that Red did not design this from scratch themselves, which right. would be kind of depressing because if they give up on it and they've got a whole bunch of patents that they don't care about, then the ability to recreate it from somebody else would either be uh, cost prohibitive mm-hmm. because of licensing the patents or there just would maybe not be another uh, affordable way around it. But Red didn't make the screen. Mm-hmm. A company called Leia, Leia. Uh, which is a Star Wars reference, um, uh, made the, uh, they would call a holographic display, which really was not holographic at all. But uh, it was far better than lenticular display technology that preceded it. And uh, so at the end of the hydrogen experiment, let's call it, um, I found a post from a David Fatal on uh, the h4vuser.net website, which is where uh, anybody interested in the red hydrogen would congregate. Um, and uh, I'll just read, like he, he says, you know, we wish the best for, for Jim in his retirement, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but uh, he also says, and this was really curious to me, 
He says, we are currently planning on an expansion to more mobile devices Hmm. as well as home and automotive products. All 4V content, past, present, and future, will be fully compatible with these new products. So Hmm. um, he's effectively saying that it's going to be stereoscopic 3D or more. Mobile devices, which means somebody else is working on a phone or a tablet or something of that nature. Um, Home. Which I, I I don't know. It's am I going to have a 3D display on my smart thermostat or something? I'm no idea where that would go. But automotive, Motive, yeah. How cool would that be? Like, I'm currently driving a Tesla Model Three, and I love it. And mm-hmm. it has basically uh, a gigantic iPad as mm-hmm. an interface to the car. What if that jumped out at me in three dimensions? Right. Uh, what if that technology had matured enough? And I think Tesla has actually, uh, Elon Musk has said something about him using 3D technology in future vehicles. So or using it in like a heads up display, something like that. Oh, if you could build something even into the windshield mm-hmm. of a car that yeah. would give you some 3D effects, uh, oh, the possibilities are endless there. So while I am very sad that the Hydrogen 2 will not be uh, you know, coming to fruition, the, the future is technically right. bright for this kind of technology from at least three different avenues of attack here. Mm-hmm. So uh, thank you, Leia, for yes. holding the patents on this one, at least on the screen technology, uh, to, to help that magic move forward. They haven't announced anything. Nobody, no other manufacturer has come forward and said, yes, we're using this tech. Uh, So let's hope that this stuff doesn't fizzle out before it becomes something interesting. Yeah, the thing is, whether it's new film, whether it's a new technology like this, I like changes. So anything that comes out and somebody spends a little bit of money and a little bit of time to create something, first generation may not be good. Second generation may not be good, but somebody's going to find a use for it. And that's what's exciting. Yeah. And there was an initial talk about, uh, you know, possibly having multiple of these phones together to create mm-hmm. uh, 4V content from more than just two different lenses. So um, uh, that was never properly realized. And uh, uh, there is the chance that Red's uh, upcoming uh, Komodo product, right. uh, which is kind of like a Red version of a GoPro, right. um, will have the Pogo pin connection that is on the back of the phone uh, that would allow me to still mount that to this new product so it might not be completely dead yet but i'm still running on android version 8 and uh they they, as a modern flagship device uh that they've just announced kind of the closing of the whole program Mm -hmm. i will not be upgraded to 910 or anything in the future uh so it's it's fine for what it is but I'm okay. I'm bouncing back and forth between happy and sad. Let's move on to the next story here uh, because I find people doing the exact same thing with this one. Uh-huh. How am I going on segues for this episode? Um, so this is, uh, this is from Petapixel. Mm-hmm. Um, parents outraged mm-hmm. by photo retouching services offered by an eight year old school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so an Arizona based journalist, Sam Walker has sparked a social media outrage. And I just love how angry people get on the internet, yes, yes. uh, over anything. Yes. Um, when she tweeted about her young girl's school photos, uh, and I'm just reading from the article here, apparently the school is offering various retouching services, including blemish removal, teeth whitening, even skin tone adjustments. And Walker's not alone in feeling this is ridiculous and possibly harmful. And they show a photo uh, with a digital highlighter. I mean, come on, use an actual highlighter, people. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> and they, they, they basically list two types of, uh, of retouching, basic retouching, which would be removing ble- blemishes and premium retouching, mm. which would whiten teeth and evens out skin tone. Um, 
So there's been a lot of people on both sides of this one, Steve. Where do you yeah, stand yeah, yeah, here yeah. about this? Um, well, first of all, this is a, a subject that I deal with a fair amount, not with uh, school photography. But first of all, a little bit of rant here is that I personally don't get caught up in the outrage culture because my philosophy is if you don't like it, don't use it. I mean, okay, come on. Just I, don't I use love it. that. Yes. Secondly, is that this has been something that's been done for years. I mean, this is not new. It's just somebody's found it and somebody's been able to use it on a platform to to share their outrage. But it's been something that school photographers have done. Hey, if you want a little bit of skin touching, a little bit of airbrushing, they'll do it. So you mentioned earlier pimples. Yes. I mean, if you are a school photographer, mm-hmm. um, chances are you've got the same form for every kid, regardless of what exactly. grade they're in. You're not going to come up with something specific. Exactly. And I had terrible acne when I right. was in high school. Um, if if I had the option of having that kind of erased from that photo, uh, as if I was having a good week, and, right. and that's when the photographers decided to come, then that would make a lot of sense for me, and that might have been worthwhile. Okay, so I think for me personally, and from in my industry, we live in a social media era today where most people... Um, especially people who are into the social media, use filters, you know, fake skin um, enhancing, uh, dog ears. I mean, people do that. That's <laughs> yeah. that's what people are doing today. Um, not everybody, of course, but that is something that's considered acceptable. So it's already out there. I don't personally encourage it, um, but I can see why a school would offer it. I'm not in condoning it. I personally don't think it's something that people need. Um, but at the end of the day, I can see why a school would do it. And I can see why a parent might say, you know what? Our child has a severe case of acne and possibly this can help. But again, I want to stress the the trend in the industry today, at least in the fashion and the beauty world and the editorial world is to minimize editing. So <clears throat> the, the years of very heavily edited images, especially in the editorial and the commercial side is gone. Um, so if you go to a a catalog for Coles or Talbots or whoever is, uh, it's, you, they almost look like the images aren't edited at all. Yeah. Um, that's the trend. Well, because if it does appear that you've edited something significantly, you'd get crucified in that court of yes. public opinion. Yes. Uh, and, you know, uh, your, your PR will have to switch into crisis mode because yes. you just try to make an image look better in ways that are deemed unethical, right? Exactly. And so the trend in the industry is less editing. I mean, my editing work that I do today on my imaging is a lot less than what I did even five years ago. Um, And I personally like that. It saves time, but it also makes the person look what they really look like. Um, So that's that's fine for me. But I will state on the other side is part of my professional work, especially for people who want to become an agency represented talent or they are represented. And especially if they're younger and they come into the studio, and I'm saying younger, you know, under 18, they come into the studio, they're going to have pimples. They're going to have skin issues. They're going to have bruises from playing sports. I mean, they're going to have something that makes them uncomfortable. And I got to tell you, when they're sitting in front of the camera, that's what they think about. They think about the fact that I've got this pimple right here on my nose, or I've got a case of acne, or I was out and I... I, you know, played volleyball and I got hit in the face with a volleyball and now I got this burn mark on my face. And there's nothing wrong with taking taking that out because when they get the images, that's what they want to see. Yeah. Um, so 
I'm on both sides. From a professional side, it's something that's done. It's something that's needed for schools when you're eight years old. Eh, maybe it's a little overboard. And I wouldn't encourage it if I were a parent, but I can see why the school would offer it. But again, the trend is less editing. Yeah. And it, it says at the end of the article mm-hmm. um, that according to Metro, uh, Walker's husband actually confronted both the school and the photographer, mm-hmm. both of whom defended the option. Right. Um, the school told told Walker's husband that these options are, uh, quote, standard practice. Right. And the photographer defended themselves by revealing that this form is used for older children as well, some of whom are self-conscious about acne. So exactly. we, we, we've kind of covered that stuff. Um, but at the same time, how far would they be willing to go for the parents? I mean, I, I'm sure that they would have to draw the line at some point. Um, you know, in, in the comments here, um, you know, some of the, because there's a bunch of them that are embedded into this article. Uh, one person says it's appalling that their daughter has 9% full thickness burns and they've never attempted to hide their scars. Mm-hmm. Um, but another person says, my three-year-old had a scar on her face that was airbrushed totally the wrong term, but uh, uh, out of her nursery photos without anybody asking, it was really weird and we didn't buy them. Uh, so I, it, it all comes down to, I think, the parents and if it's an older uh, child, what they want. Right. And to have this as an option, uh, I, I honestly, I don't think that there should be any outrage about this. But you made a really good point that I didn't consider earlier, Steve, about the dog ears and noses mm. and the, the image manipulation. And yet, This it has been happening yeah. for a long time. Yeah. I remember when I had my very first camera, it was a Game Boy camera. And you could put stickers over the photos that you had taken back then. And that came out in 1991, I think, something like that, like in the 90s, anyhow. Uh, And it was a thing then. Uh, And it's uh, clearly uh, has evolved. But uh, (laughs) the the fact that you can modify your own photographs as a child Mm. back then was always a thing. And we're just continuing to do that. So to have a professional make you look even better um, in that, like you said, draw the line with temporary stuff, I think is the key here. Yeah. And again, bottom line is, is that it's a cultural contemporary issue that the amount of editing you do in a professional image is less than it was a few years ago. However, people still do it. They do it on their social media. There's some photographers that go way overboard. And what you'll find is most professional photographers in this era or in this area will basically say, you know, if like if a parent comes to me and says, you know, John has a scar from football and he's got a little bit of a, let's say some acne. What I would do is I'd I'd encourage them. I'd say, look, you know, let's leave the scar because that's them. Take the acne out because, you know, you know, a few months that'll be gone. Or they got a pimple or let's say their eyebrows are wrong. Uh, they need to be cleaned up. That's easy. But- if somebody comes to you, though, Steve, and, mm-hmm. and they they are adamant about specific retouching of mm-hmm. images that you're taking, um, do you push back or do you do you give them what they want? No, I don't do it, give them what they want. It, it's basically my style has I have a certain style and um, a certain way that I approach my imagery. And so if somebody comes in and says, look, let's say they're 10 pounds overweight and they want to lose the 10 pounds digitally. My advice to them is go out and exercise, um, train, <laughs> um, lose those pounds because it's not going to look natural. And then the big issue, especially for agencies, is that if you take a picture of somebody and they look different in the image versus what they look like in real life, and then the client hires that model and they show up on set and they're expecting them to look like their image 
and they don't, that's a major, major issue. So I would imagine. And that, that comes back to you as the person that made the image, right? Exactly. So bottom line is, is that if a parent would come to me and said, hey, I need something significantly modified. Um, if it's temporary, it's gone. If it's permanent, it stays. If they say, take away that scar, I won't take the job. It's not, it's right. not what I do. Well, you know, it was also kind of humorous. I'm, I'm looking at the um, at the list here of, of the different options. You can get your wallets, 5x7s, 8x10s, yeah. et cetera, uh, the class picture. But an option there is a digital image CD. Seriously, are people still <gasps> making CDs with <gasps> photographs on them anymore? Oh, my gosh. I mean, that, that seems like last decade at I least. I know. I mean, well, it's all in the cloud or just buying USB sticks in bulk <sighs> with your logo on them from any promotional company. And yeah, they might not be the most robust thing, but they'll get the images there better than a CD will. Well, my question is who even has a four by five image anymore? Everybody has their images on their iPhone or their Android device. Exactly. The, you know, the, the print world, especially for this kind of stuff, is uh, I'm, I'm sure they get almost nobody uh, ordering the prints except for maybe the eight by tens from right. grandma or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's a good article. It, it, it hit a, a hot button for me because it's something that I um, I see a lot in my industry. And again, the key issue is, is that people do it because they do it on their social media platforms, on, on their, all the apps. But in a professional world, the, end, the tradition is to move away from editing and make people more natural. And it makes it easier for me. Um, and it makes people actually be more comfortable with themselves. So I, I encourage that they don't have editing done if possible. Uh, and, and let's be fair. Yes, the people will wear makeup to mm -hmm. hide their age. People sure. uh, and uh, professionals such as yourself will light people on their good side. You know, yes. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that can be done to change the expression. And, uh, yes. um, you know, you, you can if you can make somebody laugh in a really fun mm -hmm. way, that adds so much value to yep. an image than any amount of retouching ever could. And that's all on you. As, exactly. as the photographer, as photographer. to, to mm -hmm. make that magic happen. Yeah, it's lighting, it's uh, clothing, it's the environment, it's the mood. Um, that's all takes advantage of what skills you have. And if you do a great job with it, the amount of editing you have to do is limited. But, you know, it's going to happen. There's going to be some parent that's going to say, you know, I want little Jenny to have softened skin and remove everything. And uh, okay. Well, I, th there's an app for that. I mean, yeah. honestly, if, if you want that, you can do it yourself with yes. your phone. Uh, yeah. And it's, I mean, in, in today's selfie culture, uh, which I do not subscribe to, uh, by the way, occasionally, begrudgingly, I'll take a, a selfie with my wife uh, when we're in an interesting place. And I don't share it on social media. It's just Come for on. posterity. <laughs> uh, but uh, in, in this whole selfie culture, it, it evokes a lot of unusual uh, marketing campaigns, let's say. And mm -hmm. so this one, uh, this one collapsed in yes. a very literal sense. Uh, so story number four here from DP Review is Samsung's Galaxy S10 hashtag space selfie satellite left hanging from a tree yes. on a Michigan farm. Stupid experiments and stupid results. Uh, <laughs> okay, so... I, I guess they wanted to to show how robust and rugged mm. the phone was. Right. Um, and there's no telling if it survived, but the balloon that was holding it up into near space levels most definitely did not survive uh, right. and came crashing down to earth. Um, I'll, I'll let you kind of take this one from the top then, Steve. What do you think about marketing strategies like this? What do you think about the technology that we have in our hands, how mm. capable it is, but also how narcissistic society is becoming. Oh, I can go so many directions with this. Uh, 
First of all, um, I, I the first you know, I saw about this on uh, in my Twitter feed. Uh, there were some uh, film photographers that posted this, and I thought it was a hoot. So I I looked into it a little bit, and the first thing that popped into my head was, can you imagine? sitting around in a conference table where you got a bunch of young marketing people saying, okay, how are we going to create some buzz for this new phone? I know, let's do this face selfie. (laughs) And then I was thinking somebody sitting in the back, maybe a little bit more mature and thinking, you know, you probably need licenses for this. And I'm thinking, how do you get approval for doing this? And I just wonder if somebody said, hey, let's just go out the back and get a balloon and shoot it up in the air. I mean, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But you know what you think about it? Everybody wants content for their social media, right? Yep. Everybody wants something different. And you know what? Let's give it up for Samsung. They had this crazy idea um, that, you know what? They... They did it, and uh, I'm not. Well, and Samsung is a. I mean, they, they don't make dedicated cameras anymore. No. Um, but if they're a phone manufacturer, they're a camera manufacturer, effectively. Yeah, and exactly, um, especially in an era where cell phones um, are so good now, you don't necessarily need to reiterate every version of it. You know, I had upgraded from an iPhone 6, mm-hmm. uh, and my wife, I, I just uh, pushed her from an iPhone 6S up to the new iPhone 11. But there's a lot of generations of product in there that we just didn't even bother right. purchasing. Um, so that can hurt sales, uh, especially in the camera market. Uh, yeah, the, the numbers are decidedly down across the board. I, I'm not sure where that trend is going to ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to get creative with the way that you market, especially in that whole dog ear and nose wearing selfie portrait uh, universe that we live in today. Um, Who would want that dog version of themselves on a phone orbiting the earth or looking like it's orbiting the earth anyhow? Yeah. I mean, the fact that you can take a space selfie doesn't get you to buy that phone. It just gives you the buzz and it's something that can be used for marketing. So again, I applause um, Samsung for doing that. And I, I got to believe they spent a fair amount of money because I think they had uh, Cara Delevingne to uh, kind of launch one of the photos for them. And That's she right. doesn't come cheap. She's a pretty expensive model actress. So, um, but hey, this is a selfie world. Everybody takes selfies. I was, <laughs> I went to, uh, believe it or not, to the post office the other day. And I was, as I was walking in, there's this dude walking in and he was taking a selfie as he was walking. Why? I don't know. And he actually <laughs> tripped over the curve. <laughs> I was like, oh, dude, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, oh, I mean, th- this, this is like a treasure trove of, like you could do a whole street photography series mm-hmm. of people tripping while looking at their yes. phones or taking yeah. selfies. Uh, th- this is a big thing. People get hit by cars because they're not aware of their surroundings. Um, but uh, hey, I mean, we can document that changing society that we live in, and no. this was Samsung's attempt at it. I, I just, I, I think it's funny, and I just can't imagine that uh, the person that found this, like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, oh, apparently the balloon was wrapped around power lines, which mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big liability. Big problem, yeah. uh, and so, I mean, I don't know if they had to turn off the uh, transmission lines in order to get that thing down, oh, yeah, which they, they likely yeah, would have had to do. Had to. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people get, um, uh, disadvantaged because of that. And Samsung is probably stuck with a bill for it. Although, Hey, we're talking um, about it. So they're getting, I, I mean, buzz from, that. from a publicity standpoint, uh, they've, they've got that market and yeah. Hey, I, you know, when, when this phone gets a little bit longer in the tooth, maybe, maybe Samsung is the one that's going to bring out a new 3d phone. I have no idea. They probably won't do it. No. Um, but, uh, 
it, the second it becomes mainstream, mm-hmm. uh, then I think everybody's going to have those three yep. I, I hope so. Um, all right. Well, there's not much more we can talk about yeah. that. That was just a that silly goof from Samsung. Uh, cameras in space crashing down to Earth is always a topic I will never <laughs> ignore. Uh, okay. Before we get into our picks of the week, Steve, mm-hmm. uh, where can people find you online if they want to connect with you, if they want to be to be shot by you, or just follow your musings? Yeah, I'm uh, pretty active on social media on Instagram under my name Steve Brokaw, and under Twitter under my name you can find me. I'm very active on the socials, um, but my commercial website is uh, www.stevenbrokawphotography.com. That's my commercial site. Do you spell it with a PH or a V? No, V. V. There you go. Come on, dude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you the link so you can put it in the show notes. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing. Um, I'm very open and friending people and liking people. So if you want to hit me up on the socials, I'll do it. So. Yeah, all right. And all of those links will be on uh, our website at photogeekweekly.com. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and one other bit of, uh, of housekeeping before we get to the picks of the week. Um, starting uh, in less than a week, actually, uh, I will be recording a another uh, video podcast of sorts uh, with Steve Brazel, another uh, uh, familiar voice on this yep. podcast. Uh, we're going to be doing a, um, a photo critique show. That will be on the Behind the Shot YouTube channel. And it's going to be a ton of fun where we try to go rapid fire through as many images as we can, mm-hmm. uh, being as constructive as possible in the shortest period of time, and then bang, onto the next image yeah. uh, without like dragging them in and doing edits or anything like that. We're just going to try and give as much information as succinctly as possible. So uh, the value for your time, I think, is going to be pretty good on that one. Um, we're recording our first episode, uh, sort of our pilot project next week after we've ironed out some of the technical difficulties of making it all happen. And the images that we pull from are going to be from the Behind the Shot Flickr group. And that link I will also put into the show notes uh, where you can uh, put in an image with the tag BTS Critique. And if you put an image in there with that, that will uh, kind of give us permission to to take your image and uh, and discuss it uh, on on the video. We don't really need your permission. It's more of a, a nicety. Uh, it's covered by uh, fair use when we're using it for editorial purposes right. and and critiquing purposes. But hey, we want your permission. So yeah. if you put it in that uh, in that pool again, the sh- uh, links will be in the show note at photogeekweekly.com uh, with BTS critique. And uh, looking forward to seeing more of you join. We've got a ton of people already in there and a ton of outstanding images. Uh, And you know what I like about some of those photos is that I've seen some people post great and maybe not so great images in the pool as well. Because yes, we can critique uh, critique your best work, but you're probably going to learn more from an image that you're kind of scratching your head and said, you know, I know something's not right here, but I can't figure it out. Can you help? And so... Yes, you could send your portfolio work and we will try to dissect it. But uh, just as equally, we want to see the images that are a bit of a conundrum to you uh, to figure out how uh, how you can improve. Uh, and so we'll be putting that all together in the coming weeks. So uh, look forward to that. Um, Steve, what is your pick of the week? Well, um, my pick of the week is a Profoto B2 um location kit. So I'm a studio photographer, so I'm almost always using um, studio lighting, mono lightings, and I've almost exclusively used Alencron lights um, over the last 10 years. And just recently, I picked up this um, B2 kit. It's a portable, it's considered an OCF kit, so it's on-camera flash. 
or off-camera flash, excuse me. And um, it's very portable. And I used it on a photo shoot um, just this past weekend uh, on location for a, a, a for a new society, a beauty society for some makeup artists. And um, I'm showing a copy of it right here. So this is, it. the kit comes with two heads and it's very small. Um, it's 250 watt seconds, uh, which is perfect for location. Uh, you can put it on a monopod. You can put it on a standard light stand. Um, it works with a small battery pack, which is about the size. Small. It's <laughs> it's uh, it, it's one of the largest battery packs I've seen. But yeah, uh, but but for studio shooting, for studio that's actually shooting. quite compact. Yeah, and what's nice about it is it comes with a carrying case, so you can just put it over your shoulder, and um, you know you can have an assistant, or you can do it yourself. Uh, it's very light, so you can hold the light yourself. Um, so I've actually used a very inexpensive small light stand to mount this on. Uh, the only downside is that um, the cable that uh, comes with it is only about 78 inches or about 195 centimeters. So you and can't really spread the two lights too far no, from each other because they no. all have to be connected back to the battery, right? Yeah, they both have to go to the same battery. And so you can't get the second light. Like if you're going to use a hair light, it has to be fairly close. Uh, you can use it for clamshelling or you can use it for, you know, let's say, have a key light and then just an accent light. But bottom line is, is that in most situations, you're just going to use one light. So um, I used it the other day and it was perfect. And I used to carry all my uh, equipment around that was heavy and was bulky, and this is going to be perfect. So when I travel on location, go out to LA, go to New York, this is all I'm going to take. So I um, was a little reluctant to switch away from Melancron and I still use that in my studio, but for location work, this is perfect. So two questions for you. Yep. Uh, first, uh, 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 qualitative. The mm-hmm. um, Do you notice any difference between a rectangular flash head versus a circular flash head? No, um, I personally don't because I'm always using a modifier. So um, whether you're using a deep octa or a, uh, you know, a soft box or a, an octa box, um, that's how you control the light. Um, so basically every studio light that you have is, is just a, you know, it's a circle or a ring. So it's going to be circular. And then you modify with the modifiers. But so no, no I, difference there? No. Um, for the you, only, anyhow? No, for me personally, I haven't noticed any difference because again, I'm using this with a, a beauty dish or a deep octa or a 56 inch uh, octabank. So I'm spreading the light out. Right. Not, not, uh, with, the, not with the OCF. The OCF, uh, the, the B2 just has smaller modifiers. Right. Uh, <clears> and <throat> price, what's that set you back? Um, well, I got it. <laughs> I have uh, a connection uh, with the camera store that I got this at, so I only paid just uh, just over a thousand dollars. But I think it's probably. Let me see. I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna guess, but I'm. It's <laughs> it's in it's above a thousand dollars. Well, uh, even in that price range, to have two lights, to have mm-hmm. the battery, to have the whole kit ready to go. Yes. Um, the return on your investment in purchasing that for getting oh. those kinds of shoots, you wouldn't be able to do it without it or without something similar that would probably cost even more. No, this is better than a speed light. Um, so it's better than just a standard light that you might use on location. It's not as powerful as a big studio strobe, but you don't need that much power in many cases. So for what you're doing, a wedding photographer a senior photographer, somebody who's on location, something like this would be perfect. And like I said, I was reluctant to get it, but um, I did invest in it and I'm really happy I did. So that was uh, a good choice for me. So what happened to your old uh, Ellen Chrome work? <clears throat> oh, I still have it. 
It's in studio. This is all dislocation stuff. Okay. All right. Um, and uh, my pick of the week. Uh, this is uh, it's, it's going to be somewhat reminiscent of our earlier discussion. I'm going to recommend that you invest in a failure. I'm going to recommend <gasps> that you buy a red Hydrogen One smartphone. Uh, now, hear me out. Uh, they're on eBay right now for $179 US. And it is a very, very good phone that I paid over $1,000 for less than a year ago or a little bit over a year ago because uh, I had pre-ordered it. And uh, I can see an eBay listing right now for Gray. They say they've got more than 10 available, 70 sold. So they're just, whoever's selling it is clearing out inventory. Um, but if you haven't experienced uh, this 3D stuff, even if you don't use this as a phone, uh, don't use it as a phone, especially if it's not getting security updates and stuff like that. But um, if you want a very cool 3D camera with a 3D display, and there's even an app on this called Holopix, um, that's basically a social media sharing platform exclusively for 3D content. So you can see all of the really cool, uh, mesmerizing, uh, hmm. stereoscopic imagery that other people are taking and sharing on that platform as well. I'm on there too. If you wanted to see my body of work in 3D, um, it'll cost you far less than any camera lens or most camera accessories you would consider and allow you to explore an entirely new era uh, area of photography. You know, I took that, uh, I was on vacation uh, in Bulgaria. Every year we go back there to visit uh, my wife's family and friends and great time had by all uh, and documented in 3D with my phone. And yeah, I had my other cameras with me too, but for those quick snapshots to have them in 3D, hmm. um, especially as time goes on and you want to kind of put yourself back into that earlier moment, it is far more relivable than looking at a normal photograph. It's amazing how dramatic the sense of being there is when you look at something with that level of depth. Uh, and for $179.95 currently on eBay, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, you should try it. Mm -hmm. Just give it a shot because uh, I, I'm going to say... Here's an example. Uh, I was at a wedding uh, last week and I took a photo of a good friend of mine and his lovely bride um, just sitting at their uh, at their table during the reception. And I'm going to take that photo. I took it in 3D and I'm going to print it into a stereo card. And I'm going to go on eBay as well. I'm going to buy an antique stereoscope, which they sell for like 30 or 50 bucks. And I'm going to give that to them as a, as a post-wedding gift to have that 3D photo of them at that very special day uh, just for them to entertain anybody that uh, that is a, a guest at their house. Uh, and it, it is so much fun when people see that in 3D and get so elated about it. And if you're a wedding photographer, well, wouldn't that be a nice little add-on? Because you could take that fun 3D image and present it to your clients as a gift where the actual cost to you to buy an antique stereoscope, again, it's not much. And to have that as a surprise end result where they get a nice fun 3D image uh, just as a conversation piece and to spread word of mouth for your business, that actually makes some pretty good business sense uh, to me. Anyhow, I'm, I'm biased, but I, I want more people to have these phones. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a different world. It's something worth exploring. And uh, for 180 bucks, I'll have the link in the show notes where you can get your hands on a brand new, it says Verizon 4G, but it also says unlocked in the one that I found. There are others available online as well if this one happens to sell out. Um, I've got a pretty good indication based on all I've been hearing the past week that uh, major retailers are not going to be selling these things anymore. <laughs> so uh, get one while you can uh, and enjoy that world of 3D. 
So and just this is an unlocked phone, right? I mean, you can does it, but it's you, what apps does it use? Uh, it's Android, so okay. it, everything. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, and it does have its own private suite of apps in the um, uh, the the red uh, or the the Leia Loft they call it, where there's uh, a bunch. If you want to, if you play games on your phone, you want to play them in 3D. There's a whole suite of games that you can uh, explore in 3D uh, as well, not just the uh, the photography and video mm-hmm. in 3D. I don't know how it, uh, you know, what what magic it does to encode that video, but. Uh, now you can shoot stills and video. It's got um, 12 megapixel cameras on the back. And you can just press a little button to activate its pro mode, which saves side-by-side images, uh, each of them 12 megapixels. If it's just in the regular mode, it has one primary uh, 12 megapixel image, and it cleverly embeds the second image for the other eye in metadata, is hidden behind the scenes. Now, it's only a, uh, a 720p image, which is more than enough to display on the phone. Um, uh, but when you are sharing those images to other people, they just see it as a plain old 2D image. If you've got a compatible device, they'd see it as a 3D image. So hmm. there's, there's lots to explore within that. And Red was, they were really onto something fun here. And I'm sad it's not going to be a thing. Oh, that's uh, cool. But enjoy it while you can. And that's my pick of the week. And Don, I'm just looking at one of the major um, retailers in New York City, uh, photography retailers, and it looks like the B2 kit is going for just under $1,000 now. So oh, so got, you got ripped off. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you yeah. thought you got a deal. No, but... I got a deal. No, yeah. it looks like they're, they've got them on sale now. So um, yeah, it's a pretty good price for what I picked up. I would imagine, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I don't. If I even had a hint of doing any of that kind of work, Steve, mm-hmm. I, w- I would follow in your footsteps, and yeah. I would get that kind of equipment. Yeah, it's a good uh, again, not my uh, not my wheelhouse, but mm-hmm. uh, for anybody that does any kind of portraits, even just having that on standby, because right. you never know who's going to call exactly. uh, and what the needs of clients might have. Yeah. Um, then, uh, yeah. All right. These are good picks, I think. Perfect. Th- thank you very much, Steve, for being on the show. It's always great to have you Enjoyed on. Enjoyed it. And, yeah, it was uh, fun. You know, everything from your bike trip across North America yep. to your uh, to your experimental work. I don't want to say experimental, but your- Playing uh, with film. You're, you're playing with film and, right. and your fun within that, uh, as well as your studio work. Yep. Uh, your opinions are greatly appreciated. Appreciate that. Thank you for being a part of Photo Geek Weekly. And Enjoy for it. all of you listening, it's time to get out and shoot. 